Hola, listeners. Welcome to the Adventure Seed Podcast, a random roller podcast where every show is different. I'm Heather. And I'm Whitney. Out of 20 possibilities, the dice went straight into timeout after rolling the Cosmo magazine for our adventure today. <laughs> <laughs> I've been right a dice jail. <laughs> I'm pretty sure you put this on our list because you are the chaotic evil one in our twosome. Uh, absolutely. Uh, when I thought about what could possibly be the worst reading material that we could encounter, um, a pop culture magazine with beauty advice fell right into my brain. And you're so evil because the, I put things at not ones when they're like that, but you sneak them in at lower single digits. I mean, a two can be just as devastating, even a four when you're trying to rule well. It was a nine. So I mean, that was pretty brutal. Nice <laughs> average of a 10, right? Eh? <laughs> well, we also have new drinks. <laughs> you know, the drinks, the drinks got me back this week. Yeah. Um, Whitney rolled for a hard tea, but I rolled a nat 20 for the first time ever, which meant that I got to have wine, but I don't. I get water instead because of my gestational diabetes and pregnancy. So um, I may have been tricky with the with the Cosmo pool, but karma got me back on that dice roll real fast. Well, I want to, uh, I don't want your nat 20 to go to waste. So A, you get that, that nat 20 win at some point in the future once, you know, kid number two pops out. But I will also have your red wine after I'm done with my hard tea. So my hard tea is in honor of our article today. I'm having some rum in a white and green tea blend, like a hot tea. So it's kind of like a little bit of a hot toddy. So I tried to mix a whole lot of um, theme throughout our our episode this time around. Even Mm -hmm. though we rolled for Cosmo, I... I think we still have a pretty good show ahead of us. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited with the articles that we found on their website. Um, it took some it took some digging. I, I found a couple that were quite busts. Um, well, just tell them about the 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 piece of atrocity in your hands right now. <laughs> I mean, I say atrocity lightly. Like, if you like Cosmo, we're not making fun of you. At all, I promise. No, it's no, just... I'm, there, there is definitely a, a subset of people out there that this magazine would definitely appeal to. Um, people that have the what attention parts? span of a fish. Well, um, and, and the 90s Cosmopolitan is a hell of a lot different than the now Cosmopolitan. Oh, so like, I, I, used to read, I used to read Cosmo because, like, a guy that I was dating in high school, his mom, like, always had it in the bathroom. And so, like, you know, you go to the bathroom, you pick up a magazine, and you browse it or whatever. Um, I have no shame in that. Um, This magazine is kind of garbage compared to the Cosmo that I used to read 10, 15 years ago. Um, That Cosmo was Sex in the City before there was Sex in the City. Yes. I think Um, it's how Sex in the City was born. (laughs) I I would not doubt it at all. So what shocked me the most about, so first I'll say, to do research for this well, I tried to do my due diligence and I sent my husband to the grocery store with directions to buy Cosmopolitan magazine for me. 
And he looked at me like I might be a wackadoodle, but I'm pregnant. And so he didn't question it too hard. He just he nodded. Knows better. <laughs> went and did it. Yeah. Um, but he, there was fear. There was fear in his eyes when I was like, I need a Cosmopolitan magazine, please. <laughs> um, and because uh, that's that's not like me at all. And um, so he brings me Cosmo magazine. And the first thing that struck me was um, the stories in this magazine. I can hardly, I can hardly call them articles because none of them are really over 500 words. Most of them barely take up a page. Uh, a few of them are two pagers. The cover story is four, but it's like 95% pictures. Like, the amount of, of fluff in this magazine is substantial. And every other page is an advertisement. And um, I just, I was flabbergasted with the lack of substance compared to what I remember from 10 or 15 years ago. It used to be a weighty magazine. I mean, it was, I mean, it, weighty is in like heavy. There was a lot to it. It was probably the same amount of ads, but the, there were, there were some exposés occasionally. You had all of your articles, like the stories, are, all the different types of things that you could learn about the other sex and this kind of person and the stories yeah. and the write-ins and the embarrassing, you know, like the embarrassing, you, oh no, you didn't section. There was all that well, stuff. There was the quizzes, but it was there, like it was a 200 page magazine, 150 page magazine. Yeah. Well, and I remember like after Angelina Jolie had her first child, um, there was an article in Cosmopolitan magazine about how she was trying to balance her, her like getting her body back versus like struggling with her eating disorder. Like, where was the fine line? And that was a really in-depth story. It was really well-researched about, like, the dangers of eating disorders for women, the dangers for women trying to diet after having a baby. Like, it was, it was really well done. And this magazine this time has a story about Emma Roberts having a new baby. It's, it's the cover story. It's, like, four pages, but like I said, it's, it's less than 500 words, and it's just all fluffy things like there's really no substance to it at all and I was a little disappointed well I feel like online you get you get like maybe five articles to view before it kind of locks you out for a time period so but but online there is a little bit more substance yeah they have a politics section the opinion section is all right we found our story in the the opinion section the uh the name of the story is what is it called? Read Kamala. Uh, sorry, read Kamala Harris's moving victory speech as vice president elect. Yes, um, and I I like the focus of of this online story that we found. There's definitely a lot more substance to it than whatever this magazine had in it. Well, and it's it's by Naha uh, Prakash. Prakash. Naha Prakash. Neha Prakash is a good as guess as any. Um, well, and it's an awesome picture of Kamala in her white pantsuit with the pussy bow. Yep. And it's historic. I mean, this picture is 
going down in history as well as the full there's a full length photo of her too like where she's walking and her hands are up in the air like she's saying hi like yeah I, I don't have that on this article but I think that's also one that is just solidified in our minds that this is a historic moment and it it took a long time to get here but we're here and it's on the bicentennial or the centennial year it's been 100 years right yes yes 100 years this year which is really special regardless of of which side of the political aisle you tend to vote for i think i think as women regardless of your beliefs you can appreciate the achievement in finally electing a female during this year yeah during the 100 year of the women's rights movement Yes. The end of the uh, the white lady suffragist movement. And I'm very particular when I say that because people forget that it was just white women that won that right. Yes. Uh, and the- that's been one of the criticisms of the suffragist movement, of feminist movements in general, that they do often leave persons of color out and neglect persons of color's stories. Well, and Susan B. Anthony, so it it wouldn't have made it as far as it did because the National Alliance of Suffragist Women Association, something like that. I don't I might have gotten the letters out of order, Um, but the vice president was Susan B. Anthony. Yeah. And it wouldn't, you know, like the the minority votes did not get an opportunity, male or female, until the civil rights movement in uh, in what was it, 1965, when yes. the Civil Rights Act was placed? I believe that was the year, yeah. It was August, August something. And it was August 26th in 1920 when women were, the 19th Amendment was ratified. Yeah. Well, and so when I used to teach freshman English, just to, to give some depth to like how long the suffragist movement lasted, because it definitely was not something that just like started in the 1900s and we got the right to vote in the 1920s. Um, yeah. As early as 1851, um, women were gathering to debate women's voting rights. Um, and a speech that I used to teach to my freshmen um, by Sojourner Truth called Ain't I a Woman? Um, she was a black suffragette and black women were banned from attending this white suffragette convention and so she basically like snuck on stage and stole the microphone and gave the speech ain't i a woman arguing isn't a black woman just as much a woman as a white woman and why aren't you fighting for my right to vote um and and so that was that was in 1851 70 years before women gained the right to vote so it was definitely a long hard fought battle for white women it was a much longer harder fought battle for black women i mean i still feel like we're we're kind of back in that same situation the 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 brand of feminist that is that is still very white woman driven is very frustrating and cast a poor light on the rest of us who are just wanting humanity to be better. And, and, and I, I am a feminist, but in the 
same way that so is your husband, so is my partner, so are so many people. They're they're wanting women to have the the same rights, no matter what color you are, and you can't just take up for one one little piece of the pie. You can't do that. And we have so many different groups and entities now that are doing that. And you've you've got to. We're glorious stone soup. Like that's the whole beauty of this world you know one it's thing that I, one thing that i loved about this is getting back to the article a little bit about what kamala said on the night that she was accepting the vice presidential win and then biden accepting the presidential win um a couple weeks ago was that both of them acknowledged the people groups that voted for them And one thing that stood out to me was Kamala said, it does not matter what your gender is. She could have just as easily said, it doesn't matter if you're a man or a woman, but she said, it doesn't matter what your gender is. Which Which is poignant. Right. It it is inclusive inclusive of people that are non-binary because it removed the binary from her language. And then moments later, Joe Biden says, we won because of, and he starts listing the groups of people that voted for him, Black, Latino, Asian, women, trans. And he mentioned them very specifically. And I think when we talk about feminist rights, we often forget our trans female sisters or our non-binary or gender fluid sisters And so the fact that both politicians used inclusive language, especially on the heels of an administration that day one deleted the LGBTQ page off of whitehouse.gov. I mean, day one, that was the, I I haven't forgotten that yet. And I will always, always remember that because it's so important to people that it affects in that group of people. Um, it, it just, it was one of those moments, like, aside from, from them winning, aside from seeing Kamala standing on stage in this very symbolic white suit, hearing the inclusive language that was being used was just so momentous to me because it is so different from where we've been the last four years. And it's it's like a beacon of where I really hope we go. I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, it is it is a spark in the darkness that we have desperately needed for sure. And I think that she did a great job coming out in that, that symbolic pantsuit and it's symbolic on a, on like a multitude of layers, just like an onion and an ogre. The, (laughs) the suit was founded, like made by a luxury brand founded by Venezuelan immigrant, Carolina Herrera. Mm-hmm. So she has, she wore a t-shirt to the uh, Met Gala that was a picture of Lena Waithe. Um, yeah. Who was also wearing one of her outfits, the rainbow. Yeah, cape. Herrera's rainbow cape. Yeah, to the, to the pride parade, which yeah. is kind of points back to what you're saying. And then wore her suit to to this moment and it it's just really cool and it gives you chills and makes you 
as a as a lady, I've I've probably broke into tears a handful of times reading all this material for the last little bit because it's so historic. Right. Well, and there's there's a history leading up to Kamala also like getting this nomination and being able to stand where she's standing. When we look at like her personal history, the way that her her immigrant mother helped build her up. I mean, her mother came from India, um, right. married a black man, like from Jamaica, Jamaica, Jamaica. Yeah. I have personally never left my home city. Like I have lived within 20 miles of where I have grown up my entire life. I've traveled to other countries and put down temporary roots in those places with the knowledge that I'm always going home. I can't imagine the strength it takes to leave everything you know and start over somewhere else in a place where culture and language and politics and opportunity is so different. And then to raise a child who is not only the first female vice president, she's the first black woman to ever be in the position to be nominated for vice president she's the first asian to be like there's so many firsts that kamala harris a first generation american has just knocked out of the park and then she did it in a white business suit just to pay homage to all of those that knocked down those walls before her and kept it classy like ruth bader ginsburg with the frilly lace like refusing to sterilize and become one of the men but keep her her identity in check with the the pussy bow like that yes well and i've always like the article mentions that there's like uh, a hard dialogue about this pussy bow like some people because of the name find it like obnoxiously anti-feminist some people find it overtly feminist because it's a like there's just so much dialogue back and forth about the pussy bow and uh, Melania Trump wore a super obnoxious yeah. hot pussy bow at one the point that grabbed her by the comment. Yes. And so like the fact that a, a feminine article of clothing has had so much back and forth about it and women in power keep wearing it in meaningful symbolic ways I think says a lot about that that item of clothing and a lot about our society. Both in good and bad ways. I mean, the fact yes. that the, we found this article in a fashion magazine and they were very, there's, there's just as much information about the, the designer and the suit. And there's, there's very little information about the suffragist movement, which is what it's symbolic of. I mean, it kind of tells you, it gave you some history about Hillary Clinton won it, um, Ivanka and Tiffany Trump wore it, uh, Pelosi Mm -hmm. wore it. There's other times um, AOC wore it, which AOC is a bomb in her white. But it's just, she, they're they're talking a lot about the suit. They don't really tell us much about the suffragist movement. And it's it's just very funny to me that we're reading this again out of a fashion magazine and that women men don't have this problem we're not one person can tell me anything that joe biden's one wore other than it's he's definitely worn blue <laughs> other than that, well no one's talking about that 
And Hollywood actresses have drawn attention to this too, you know, on the red carpet. People are always like, no, who are you wearing? And like when men walk the red carpet, people aren't like, oh, did Dolce and Gabbana make your suit? Oh, is that coach? I don't even know. I'm just like making up fashion names. I think these are all terrible at this. And so one of the things that the article points out is that when Kamala debated vice president pence she made the like she made the decision or her she wore the prosecutor suit yeah she wore a prosecutor suit a very dark neutral non-feminine suit but the article said sometimes the best way for a woman to avoid the fashion comment is to just not participate by being not fashionable and the fact that, like, wearing a masculine suit, which it it's just a suit, and it's still tailored to a woman's body. Like, mm-hmm. the suit itself doesn't have a vagina or a penis. But like, it's not a girl. It's not a girl color. It's not a girl color. Right. Um, and so that made it unfashionable. According to this fashion magazine, I was like, Wow. Like, that says so much. And it's true. Like, nobody focused on her fashion the night of the debate. It was a non-issue because she was dressed. She took it out of the equation. Like a man. Um, But now she wears this this very historical feminine suit. And that's what the article focuses on. And even, even the night of, commentators were like, oh, she's wearing this white female power suit. Um, and, and so I find it interesting that even though we realize and recognize and have commentary on women's fashion and the focus on it sometimes being debilitating to, to women's movements and things like we haven't gotten away from it. No. And what I like back to the article, the article is written by Elizabeth Holmes. And it's an opinion piece on cosmopolitan.com. And she kind of ends with this. And I really love it. She says that it's not really the first outfit we saw history happen in. The first actual outfit we saw history happen in was her Instagram share (laughs) of the clip of her in her athletic clothes. Yes. Because she was walking or working out or running or something and got the news and she wanted to share a real world, real life. This is I'm here for America first moment. And I thought that was really a a very cool point to make. And I don't know any woman that does not own a comfortable pair of sweats or a comfortable tracksuit that like like when it is cold outside and I have to interact with the world on a day I don't want to, that is my go-to clothing. And the fact that Kamala Harris is like just chilling in her yard or at a park or whatever in her tracksuit. Um, and it's not like some fancy Gucci tracksuit. Like it's just your standard Adidas, Nike, whatever tracksuit. Um, it's a Nike pullover, leggings, and sunglasses because it very specifically states in the article. <laughs> I'm glad that you were able to. F- I'm like scrolling down the page right now, like what kind of tracksuit was it? 
Um, but yeah, like that just makes her so human to me. Yeah. That like she's just chilling in her tracksuit outside, like probably drinking her Starbucks, minding her own business, like most of us do on a Saturday. <laughs> it says, and with this outfit, she made it clear that we get to wear and do and be what we please. And I love it. Yeah. Well, and I wanted to take just a moment, just a real quick moment to um, say that there's a great NPR article that we're going to share about this as well. But Knoxville, Tennessee, Nyota, Tennessee, Nashville, Tennessee, that kind of was a very poignant part of the women's suffragist movement. Um, You were stating that there was a statue downtown. Yeah, it's in Market Square. It's at the Crutch Park end of Market Square here in Knoxville. And it it honors the suffragist movement and some of the people that contributed to that movement. Uh, and I think it's really cool. Like, I never knew why Knoxville, of all places, had this suffragist statue until um, I began learning about Tennessee's role in the suffragist movement. And Whitney, you found that really cool NPR article. Do you want to talk about that? Well, so actually my partner, Alan was telling me, Oh yeah, there's a guy here in Tennessee and he, it was, it was literally down to a vote. And I'm like, what are you talking about? So I I go to Google, of course. And I wanted to use the NPR article. He told me an endearing tale and he doesn't want to, to go on live. But I, I, so I had to look it up and, and get some more information. And the statue, one of the statues, there's two suffragist statues. There's one in Market Square and there's one in Crutch Park. The one in Crutch Park is actually Harry Byrne and his mother, Feb. She's standing behind him. She was the very first vote cast uh, in her, in the November election in Knoxville, Tennessee. And he, they're from Nyota, Tennessee, and he had the the vote had come down to the wire. They had made two previous votes that day in Nashville, and he had said, "No, you know, I don't want to vote on this, tabling the vote for a future thing," which meant it wouldn't have happened because they had thirty five states, they needed thirty six, and Tennessee was the last the last state in that year that was going to vote on these measures, these possible measures to ratify the 19th amendment. And it literally on the third and final vote, it came down to 48 to 48 because one other guy, I think his name was banks, uh, John banks or Joe banks, something like that. He, uh, he switched his vote early in the count. And so it literally came down to 48 to 48 And he had gotten on the last break, he'd gotten a six page letter from his mama because he's a mama's boy and he was reading all the notes and she was writing this very lovely message, just talking about life. And she's a very educated woman. She was running the family farm. She was a widower. She was a widow and she was running the family farm by herself. And he, she got to the very end and she said that I need you to vote for the suffrage movement. I, I don't know your stance. We're very proud of you, but you've got to do this. It says hurrah and vote for suffrage and don't keep them in doubt. And he said, you could hear a pin drop and he voted I. And when he voted I, it erupted in pandemonium. The suffragists is one. All the yellow roses that were for the suffragists came thundering down. They're all wearing their white in solidarity because it was a feminist color. Most men wore blue or black suits. So they all wore white in unity. 
and Knoxville Sentinel, the, that's what it used to be called, wrote a limerick, uh, said there is a young man from Nyota who for precedent cares no iota. He sprung a surprise when he flopped to the eyes and enraptured the feminine voter. <laughs> Aww. So and made his mom proud. Yeah. It made me cry a lot. I've, I've been crying a lot. And they kept saying that they're in a, a new world now. And her first ballot, she's the, she's the number one voter. Um, and her ballot uh, had all male pronouns. They hadn't even had time to change it yet. She said, we're in a new world now. So I thought that was really interesting. That is really cool. I didn't actually know that there was a statue of them over by Crutch Park. Yeah. I should, I should wander through Crutch Park more often. Well, and I also want to take a moment to say, and you and I have both talked about this off air too. This was, again, the the women won the right to vote, the white women. So it, it's still a few years away, 40 years away, 40, 45 years away, 25 years away, 45 years away before I can't do math at night after rum. Um, <laughs> but the, the women did win the right to vote. The white women did run the right to vote. And, Feb Byrne kept working for the right for all women to vote yeah. and all men. And, and the, the suffragist, a lot of the suffragists did switch gears and they always had that gear. There was part of them that always was going for that, but it, it, it's easier to do it with a larger vote populace. Yes. Yeah. The idea that sometimes progress takes baby steps. And it's a step forward. And I think that we're, our work is not done yet, but we have Kamala, Kamala Harris. Oh, how do you say it? Kamala? Kamala. Sorry. Kamala Harris. I feel like shit from that. No, um, you're good. We have her here. Yeah. So now let's do, let's, let's roll up our sleeves. Uh, Biden is clearly going to try to help. Like, let's all do this, you know? Well, and even just looking at some of the voter disenfranchisement from this election cycle or from a couple years ago in Georgia during major Senate races, like there's work to be done for Lots. sure. Gerrymandering is a huge problem, especially where we live here in the South. Um, it's talked about often voter ID laws, um, the closing of polling stations, all of that contributes to voter disenfranchisement. And we have to make sure that, yes, women have the right to vote. Yes, we have women in powerful places because of the right to vote. But we cannot let our guard down on maintaining those rights just because we have them. And I think seeing some of the sheer tomfoolery that has been attempted in this election cycle with trying to get votes trashed, trying to get votes discounted, trying to move things through the court system to get whole swaths of people thrown. Like, it's just, it's bananas that that, I'm glad that the, the courts have done their job and tossed out most of those lawsuits, like 99% of them. But like the fact that, that someone thought they might get away with it tells us that our voting rights are never secure. We always have to stay vigilant. Yeah, absolutely. All right, let's get off our soapbox again. Uh, thanks for letting us get it on it occasionally. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, I did want to say that the 
mostly I wanted us off the soapbox because I wanted to talk about a just a couple of the things that we were going through just to, to turn it lighthearted again a little levity our our choices were so slim I mean we could have done your tarot card based off of your horoscope we could have done is your sexual libido gone or back because of the end of the election what were some of the other options we could have what's your favorite side dish for thanksgiving like these are all articles we could have chosen um, (laughs) in the paper copy magazine that i have there's a two-page spread about the um strawberry dress that is taking instagram by storm um I, I didn't even know. There was that. the top 15 TikTok recipes that you just have to try for dinner tonight. Um, <laughs> there was an article all about Kate Middleton and her winter wardrobe surrounding a handbag. Okay, I'm sorry, but that one I think I would be interested in. I mean, I do like some girly things. I am I a girl and I'm allowed to. <laughs> I don't know that I could plan my whole winter wardrobe around one handbag, though. And it's I kind of like building a magic deck around one card. I don't even own a handbag. <laughs> yeah, but I think I think if you had the right handbag, like when you pull that that mythic and you're like, ooh, I really like this black blue or this green white or this red, <laughs> red, red in your face. Very true. The handbag was adorable. It was a nice, small, cream-colored clutch um, that I think could probably hold, like, maybe a lip gloss and her cell phone in it. I guess when you're, like, a princess, you don't need much more than that at your fingertips. Well, I mean, you you have it all because you have <laughs> everyone carrying it for you. Yeah. <laughs> so she needs all the other stuff. It's just she doesn't have to carry it. Yeah. <laughs> See, that's why I don't have a handbag anymore. I, I had a child and I was like, we'll just keep everything in the diaper bag. And as the child has outgrown the need for the diaper bag, I've just moved to smaller and smaller things because if I don't have the handbag, I don't have to carry it. And my husband has fantastic sweatpants with very large pockets and he hasn't figured it out yet, but I use his sweatpants as my handbag. I hope he doesn't listen to this show. No. Um, he'll he'll be in on my secret. Um, but as long as I don't have a handbag and he has sweatpants, he is my pocketbook. That's hysterical. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, what is your favorite Thanksgiving side dish since this will come out around Thanksgiving? Oh, deviled eggs. Absolutely. Deviled eggs? Deviled eggs, Yes. I make myself sick every year eating too many deviled eggs. Mine is the whiskey. (laughs) That's not a side dish. That's a main course at our house. Well, uh, so mine is actually, it's not really whiskey on Thanksgiving because I have the tradition where I get up early in the morning and I have mimosas until they run out. And then I have vodka and OJ because I've bought like three or four things of OJ. And I just watch drunk. I, I, watch drunk history the the latest season of drunk history and just binge watch it and just drink with them as they're drinking your thanksgiving tradition is very adult my thanksgiving tradition is waking up really early and sitting down with an intimens crumb cake and turning on the macy's day parade 
and watching it like I'm still five years old. And every time a new float or balloon comes on the screen, I scream at my husband and make him come look at it. And then at the end of the parade, Santa comes on and I legit cry every time because I'm so excited that Santa has come to the parade. Like he might not have or something, but he did. And um, I tried to get Roland to watch it with me last year. And, and last year he was only like one and a half and he just didn't care. Um, but this year, I don't actually know if they're doing the Macy's parade this year. It might've gotten Corona canceled. Well, so I'm looking it up right now. Okay. Uh, I think they are still doing it and they're live streaming it Ooh. is what I think. Yeah. They've got a countdown to the broadcast. Oh, good. Well, then that's what I'm going to be doing. And then, so Santa comes on and that's the end of the parade. And then I haul butt to the kitchen where I make usually two dozen eggs into four dozen deviled eggs. And I take that to my family's Thanksgiving. And I, I don't, everyone always, every year they're like, just make one dozen eggs, Heather. We just need one dozen. That'll be 24 eggs. That's plenty for everybody. Not everybody eats them. And every year I make the two dozen, so 48 total deviled eggs, and I eat half of them. And by eight or nine o'clock at night, I'm regretting all of my life choices <laughs> because deviled eggs give you a whole lot of gas. And by about 11 o'clock at night, my husband is regretting all of my life choices. <laughs> Um, but it's worth it because deviled eggs are a lot of work and they are delicious. And this year, because of my diabetes, that and the ham might be the only thing that I can eat, but I'm not, I'm not making that many because it's, we're not going anywhere for Thanksgiving. It's just going to be Garen and myself Yay. and our child. You guys are doing that. You're staying in and yeah. making cool. Yeah. We're making smart and let me know how it goes. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm going to watch the parade. I did, I treated myself this year. I ordered a honey-baked ham from the Honey-Baked Ham Company. It is way more ham than we're going to be able to eat, and it was way more money than I should have spent. But I figured if I was not going to eat 24 deviled eggs by myself, I deserve an eighth of a ham. <laughs> well... Supposed to, so speaking of um, honey baked ham, because th we are not, that's not our business shout out. And no. I have mixed feelings about them, but that's neither here nor there. Uh, the business shout out is Salon Mercury in Knoxville. Salon Mercury is off of Kingston Pike, right? Yes. Oh, no. Um, Paper Mill. Paper Mill. North Shore. Paper Mill. North Shore. It's over in the Rocky Hill area near Rocky Hill Elementary School. I don't know road names. Well, and to to keep it nice and short and sweet, we we really like Salon Mercury. Uh, Winter's there; she's awesome. Your lady is there that does your hair, Lilith, and Lilith is fabulous and wonderful, and I adore her. Yeah, she's amazing. There's Mackenzie. There's several other girls there that are are. There's several other women who are there that are just awesome. They're yeah. they're great. They're very talented. They do bomb ass coloring, like all the crazy colors. Yeah, if you want to like go in with like pitch black hair and walk out looking like a pastel unicorn, um, they'll get you there. It's gonna cost you money, but they'll get you there. 
and they'll get you there with uh, it's beautiful and they so take really good quality care of your hair. They're not going to like fry your head, make your hair fall out. You know, the crazy things that you see on the internet sometimes. Yeah, for sure. I really enjoy them a lot. Winter's really cool. Lilith is really cool. Uh, she's mm-hmm. a mermaid. She, yeah, she's, she's a, a merfolk like you are. Yeah, um, we have that in common and I love that. And uh, cool Lil- Lilith has been doing my hair now for over 10 years wow i have i have followed her from from shop to shop i will never give up my lilith um she's wonderful well so definitely if you all are in town uh we wanted to to highlight a fashion ish business and i like why not be your hair salon like that's the best place for like most of us even the even the girls who don't read cosmo go and get their hair done <laughs> right i have my every other month appointment to make sure that these grays stay covered and that i look fabulous and well groomed well so um we're not going to roll this time because we actually already know what story we're going to do next we're doing wicked and divine because somehow our Wiccan and Divine didn't make it to y'all. Yeah, the internet ate it. Uh, we we have, like, I know we, we joke around, like, our drinking game would be every time you or I say tech issues, people have to drink. Like, I think that's our drinking game. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Just kind of like every the time you hear a glitch out. <laughs> So on that note, uh, we we dropped Squirrel Girl on y'all when we should have dropped Wicked and Divine. And in Wicked and Divine, we picked Squirrel Girl. So we're going to just, you know, catch us up, get us back on track and do Wicked and Divine for you all because we love it so much. And it was a really good podcast. I wish you all could have heard it. It was. The second one, there's like, there's this weird superstition in podcasting where if you have to record the, like record it a second time, your second takes always way worse than your first one. But I don't know if that's going to be the case here. And hear me out. My logic is that was like a month ago when we recorded that. Yeah, I don't remember what we talked about very much. I have no idea what we talked about. It'll be so fresh all over again. <laughs> so we're going to be reading that next week uh, or next time. And uh, Heather, you're drinking water? Absolutely. And I rolled a 13. So my 13 on my drink list is, is... yummy, I hope. What do you think it is? I think that it's a craft beer. <laughs> I do like my craft beer. It's a listener suggestion. Oh, ooh, we got some really good ones a couple weeks ago on that Facebook post. Yeah, was it Aaron Hines? Yeah, he a bunch of suggestions. You had taken one of his, and I'm going to take one this time. So that's exciting. So I'll have to pull that that Facebook post back up. Yeah, definitely check us out on Facebook. And, oh, I'll go ahead and we'll just skip that part because you guys know we're reading Wicked and Divine next time. Yes. So follow our quest, Adventure City Podcast, on Facebook and see our fun posts where you can make listener suggestions on drinks and stories and articles. And we are here for you. So tell us what you want to hear. Like, what's going to make you all share? Uh, Instagram, 
where we show pictures, and Twitter, where we are occasionally, but we mostly are on Twitter to follow Mark Hamill. And wherever you get podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> May the dice always be in your favor. May your Thanksgiving be socially distanced and full of love. We hope you roll well. Bye, guys.